following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. Right, I've been really excited about this week to get to talking about the guy we're going to talk about tonight as we continue in our journey through Hebrews chapter 11. So you can go to your Bible in Hebrews chapter 11 and follow along with me. We'll read that passage in just a little, in a little bit. So, after tonight, believe it or not, we are halfway through our By Faith series. And then comes Easter. Yeah, we're there. It's that time of year. It's the spring. Uh, we've seen, in Hebrews 11, we've seen a faith that worships God through Abel. We've seen a faith that walks with God, with a man named Enoch. We've seen a faith that reverently fears God, like Noah, with the story of the flood. And tonight we come to the story of a faith that obeys God. And by looking at the life of faith through this man, who really needs no introduction, um, and that's the man Abraham. Abraham. Now, he doesn't need an introduction. The name is probably familiar. You may know a little bit about him. Uh, but, but here's a real b- brief background on this guy anyway. Um, he's mentioned, Abraham is mentioned 300 times in the Bible, over 300 times. He... In the 27 books of the New Testament, he's mentioned in 11 of them, um, more than anybody else, other than, other than Jesus. Um, Hebrews 11, most people, as we've been through, you've probably seen one or two verses at most. Uh, Abraham gets 12 verses. Genesis 11 through 25, so we see 15 entire chapters dedicated just to the life of this man in the book of Genesis. Moses, who wrote the book, of Genesis, only gives himself, talks about five books, and now you see Abraham gets 15. Three major religions of the world claim Abraham as their starting point, as the father of their religion. You have the Jews, you have Muslims, and you have Christians, who say, Father Abraham, you probably have heard that song, right? Father Abraham has many sons. Can we get the band back up here? Father, son? No. Went to Catholic school for two years, and we sang that song every Wednesday morning. It was awesome. No. <laughs> Father Abraham. We see the Father Abraham because what, what does it mean that he was the father of our faith, that, he, that our faith gets its start in, in this man, looking at the man of Abraham? So what's Abraham teach us about faith? It teach us, teaches us a ton. It teaches us a lot. Um, and we're not going to say uh, everything about it, but because uh, what is the time dedicated to Abraham uh, is so much greater, um, we're going to spend about twice as long tonight, today, talking about Abraham. So about an hour. Gosh, forget it. I need to go home, watch some TV. <laughs> okay, so let's get into it. Abraham, he was a prototype of a man or woman of faith. His faith, his life becomes for us a parable of what it means to live by faith, more than any other person. You might expect a man whose life would be a parable for us, or a prototype of this is what it looks like to be a man, of, a man or woman of faith, that they might come from a, a background that's privileged and, and honored and favored and, and grew up in a good home and lived a good life, and this is the kind of guy you, have to, you want to be like. But really, the opposite is very true about Abraham. Abraham was a, a very pagan man. He grew up in a very pagan city. His dad was a very godless and wicked person. 
And so you see everything about him and his upbringing was, uh, was broken, was confused, was pagan, was not God-centered. He lived in a city that, was, that believed in polytheism, so they had many gods. And so we see broken family, broken home, broken city, broken dad. And so you may be thinking to yourself, boy, that's a lot like maybe some yourself. So that's a pedigree of someone who starts a religion. So many of you probably start that same way. You can start a religion and, and have the right credentials for it, just like Abraham. Broken guy, broken family, not much to speak of. So how did his faith become for us a parable of how, for how we are supposed to live by faith? Let's go to Hebrews 11 now and read a few verses and, and look at this man and his faith. And we'll talk about it. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. Let's start in, in verse 8. And uh, we're going to skip over a, his wife, whose name is Sarah, um, and actually going to talk about her. We're going to dedicate next week to Sarah. And um, she's going to be our first woman that we get to when we talk about by faith and, and someone who is commended by their faith. And so we're going to read about Abraham, skip over her, and then pick up with Abraham again. Um, starting in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Let's go to verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he had received the promises and he who had received the promises was, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. All right. The act of faith that we see in Abraham, why he was commended, his act was obedience. We read that right there in verse 8. And through the course of Abraham's life, this obedient faith would create for us a portrait of what happens when we obey God. When we step out and have obedient faith, considering the things that God says, and actually obeying what He says, and living a life of obedience because of that faith. And what I see through the life of Abraham is that when we obey by faith, God moves us. He moves us all around. He moves us in many directions. And we're going to look at three of those directions. What does faith do for us when we obey God? When it, it calls us out, it calls us out, it propels us forward, and it draws us near. And that's what happens with Abraham through his life, that God is calling him out. Come out here, Abram. He, he pushes him forward. Go here, Abraham. And he draws him near to himself. And so let's look at that first one. First, obedient faith calls us out. God came to Abraham, and this is what he told him. He said, I want you to leave your hometown, this place that you have grown up in, that you've become very familiar with, that you've become very comfortable in. I want you to leave this city. Leave your family. Leave your friends. Leave your hometown. Leave everything that has become comfortable for you. And I want you to go to a place that I'm going to tell you about. But, but before that, before you know exactly what it is, I want you just to go out and follow me. And this wouldn't have been a big deal, but I want to tell you a little bit about this place that Abraham was from. He was from a city called Ur. 
And Ur was a modern day, um, it was a big city, modern day um, epicenter of, of science and mathematics and philosophy and medicine. And it was just a, a place of great wealth. It probably had about 300,000 people. And back then, that's, that's a lot of people. It was a major cultural center. It was very comfortable. It was right along uh, the Euphrates River. And you know, every year, the Euphrates River would flood and, and create a year's worth of just bounty and, and fresh vegetation. And it was an oasis in the middle of a desert. And anybody ever been to Ur? No? Okay. Well, last, last time I, a, lot, a lot of hands went up. No, I've never been there. But here's what I've heard. You see the city of Ur, and out, right outside its boundaries is just nothing but desert. God is looking at Abraham and saying, I'm calling you out of a place that's wonderful, that you're privileged in, that is, is just an oasis. And I'm calling you out and just to a barren land. And, and just keep going and keep going in this desert. And he was calling him to go in an environment that was very different from what he was accustomed to. And so when we see that God calls him out, it's, it's not something, well, it's just, you know, everybody moves, people go from one place to another. It's really, it's, it's calling him out from everything that was comfortable for him into a place that was very foreign. If you're going to respond to God by faith, don't be surprised if he calls you in circumstances that are very unfamiliar to you. Some of us think that, well, if, if we walk with God by faith, then things will become known to us, and things will become natural and normal, and a life of faith will become easy, and the transition from my old life to my new life with God will just, God loves me, and He's powerful, and so it'll just kind of naturally work itself out. But what we find is that when we obey God by faith, He calls us out from those areas of comfort into areas where we don't know what to do, where we're confused, and sometimes feel isolated, and even feel insecure, thinking, I have no idea how to deal with this. And so you may be in that place, or may have experienced that in your life, and I want to give you some kind of encouragement that, as we look at the life of Abraham, this is exactly what happened. God himself came to Abraham and called him out, and Abraham didn't know where he was going. He found himself in a very unfamiliar place. Maybe you've seen God work in, in your life. Think of a time where you went through a real trial. Maybe you have one, a story like that, um, where you had to deal with something where there was a lot of grief, where there was a sorrow, where there was a lot of uh, a big life change, and you didn't know which road to take. And you saw God answer some prayers. Think of a friend that maybe you have seen and maybe if you haven't seen something in your own life, think of a friend that has gone through just a tragedy. And this person trusts in God, and they walk by faith, and you've seen through the course of time God be faithful to this person. And have you ever gone to that person and talked with them, and you heard their story, and you say, tell me, what was it like? What was it like to, to trust God and to walk into an unfamiliar place? And has anyone ever told you, you know what? It, God's really predictable. You know what, it, it happened exactly the way I had imagined it would. Or, you know what, it really, I really wasn't surprised at how God answered prayers. Boy, I, I tell you, I never get those kinds of responses when I talk to people. When I see that people walk by faith and are confronted in a life that has maybe there's grief or tragedy or confusion, 
or insecurity or fear. That person says every time, says, you know what? God surprised me. I didn't know that he was going to handle it this way, but he did. And it worked out. And time after time, we see a story like that. Why does God do it like this? Why does God call us out from places that are comfortable and, and put us into situations that are not so comfortable? Why does he call Abraham out of Ur and, and send him on a journey? Well, one, I think that God is a lot more wise than us and he knows what's best for us. But, but more importantly, I think it is this. Because the call, when God calls us to obedience, it's always a call to separation. And now, let me explain this a little bit. Um, when I was in a freshman at the U of A, I went to my first Bible study as a, as a, as a young adult. First time ever did I, this was the first time ever that I went to a Bible study that my parents didn't force me to go to, that I didn't have to go to. That was my own decision. And I went to the Bible study. I, I met this Bible study leader at the U of A, and he invited me, and so I went, and, I, and he opened the door when I got to his house, and he was completely shocked that I even came. Um, and I remember sitting there, and he was talking through, and I sat peacefully listening. I really enjoyed the fellowship with the people in the study, the other guys. I enjoyed what we were learning. And then afterwards, I stayed behind because I wanted to talk with him a little bit more about just life and faith in general. And everybody kind of left, and so I, I sat with him and talked with him and kind of told him a little bit about myself, about my life and things that I, that I was doing. I told him that you know I was, I was drinking way too much, and I was smoking way too much, and I was taking advantage of girls way too much, and I was loving God way too little. And I kind of just told him my story. And I said, I really like what you guys have going on here, and I really want to be a part of it. But let me ask you a question. Can I still do all these things and still be a Christian? And he looked at me, and, and, he, told, and he said two words. And those two words were, no, bro. <laughs> No, bro. <laughs> and I was really offended. I was, I was insulted. I was offended. I was like, how intolerant are you? Why would you say that? Like, I'm coming to you and saying, I want to be a Christian, and you're not accepting me for who I am. And, and it goes on and on. And, and I'm, just, I'm feeling kind of hurt, but why did he say no, bro? Because this guy understood that a call to obedience, a call to faith is a call to separation. That when God calls us and comes onto the scene of our life, he, he takes us for where we are and He calls us out of that. And He calls us into something else. And so every time God calls us to obedience, it's always a call to separation. Discipleship is to put one thing behind us and to put another thing in front of us. It's, that's the nature of it. When Jesus says, when he calls disciples and calls men, to him, men and women to himself, he's saying, I'm calling you to look at what's in front of you in your life, what's important. And I'm calling you to remove that out of your focus and place something else in front of you. And Jesus is saying, me, I want to place myself in front of you. And I want discipleship to be you following me. And we can't have both. We can't have a vision and a focus, and we can't be following both of those things at the same time. Jesus says to those who might follow him, he says, if anyone would desire to be my disciple, he must take up his cross and follow me. He says in John 17, 
the, the night before Jesus was crucified for our sins, he prays for his disciples, and he prays for all people that would come after his disciples and follow him. And what does he pray for? He says, God, I pray that they would be sanctified. What does sanctified mean? It means to be set apart. It means to be called out. It it means to be separate and to have a new focus. Jesus himself was praying for our separation from the things that were comfortable and normal and peaceful and into a journey that was focused on him. And the narrative goes like this when Jesus called his first disciples in Mark chapter 1. He comes to Simon and Andrew, and they are fishing. And he says, he says three words. It wasn't wasn't no bro, it was come, follow me. And what does it say about Simon and Andrew? It says that they dropped their nets immediately and followed Jesus. He was calling them, and calling them to a relationship with himself, he was calling them out, and calling them to separate from what they were doing, and to follow him. Right after this, it says he, he called Simon, he called Andrew, and then Jesus comes to a man named James and John and says the same thing. He says, follow me. And what does it say that James and John did? Immediately, they were in a boat fishing with their father. Immediately, they left their dad and followed Jesus. And then here's what, here's what the passage says in Mark 1, which I really like. It says, they left their father and their hired servants there. I mean, they were the boss. They, they hired out these workers, and they just left. Christ, followed, Christ called them out, and they immediately left everything and followed him. Like God called Abraham out, he calls us out. He calls us to form our identity, not around our surroundings, not based on what is culturally acceptable, not what is politically correct, what, not what is comfortable for for our current climate and and culture and age and city and whatever it is. He's calling us to shape our identity in Him and not in the things around us. And so when God was calling Abraham out of Ur, He was effectively calling him out of, I'm going to, I need a clean slate. I'm going to call you out of what, who you are and what has shaped you and I'm going to mold you and, and create a new identity in you that is based on a focus and vision on me. What has God, or what has the process of God calling you out been like? If you trust in God and you are a person that, has, has, that believes in God and what Christ did for you, there's been somewhat of a journey. It may be a very short journey. It may be a very confusing journey, but there's something there. What is, I want you just to ponder, what does it look like, what does separation and calling and obedience look like for you in your life? And I just want you to think about that. Look at your lifestyle. Look at your values and your goals and your passions are those things shaped by your surroundings or are they shaped by a, a, a discipleship with Jesus? Are they shaped by an identity that's found in being called out from a life that is not worshiping God and called into a life that worships Him? Are they being determined by, um, you know, by peer pressure, um, by, by media, by comforts? Um, is it influenced by money? Is it influenced by anything like that? Or is it influenced by Christ? And I want to be clear here. When I say that God calls us out, when He calls us into obedience, He's calling us into separation. There's an aspect where we have to separate. And then there's an aspect where we don't separate so much at all. And so I'm not saying that when God calls us in a relationship with Him, 
We have to shun the world behind us. We have to have no part in what the world is doing and just be completely focused on on God. And I'm not saying that at all because there is an aspect of following Christ that Christ pushes us back in and says, now I want you to engage with the world and I want you to love the world and I want you to minister to the world and I'm calling you out of your your identity in the world so that you can have your identity in me and then I'm, I'm pushing you back in. So that, you can, so that you can love the world. And so a separation from the world is not a, um, I'm not going to do anything with the world. I'm, not, I'm going to do whatever I can to look like something different. But it's a call to minister to the world and to love the world. And he would eventually do that with Abraham. So what does God do with us once he calls us out? When we respond with obedient faith, we see that he's calling us out of of a life that we once knew and into a life with him and he propels us forward. And so let's look at that. He propels us forward. Abraham, on his journey, when he left, he built two things. It says that he built a tent. And Abraham built tents because he never really fully unpacked his life. Because he never built a house. He never built a log cabin or a stone cabin or a clay or dirt cabin. He never bought anything, brought, uh, built anything like that because he knew that he was not supposed to settle down and be fixed there. Because he knew that he was seeking after something that was beyond where he was. A home that was not there. And so he didn't fully unpack. He, that's why he lived in a tent. So that he could pick it up quickly and, and move on to where God would call him. And he understood that he was called out and called to something that God had prepared for him that he had not yet found. And so until he found it, he wouldn't settle down forever. And see, the difference between the tent and the foundations that we read in this passage is that he was looking for a city that it had foundations that were built by God. And so he was saying, until God calls me to that place, until I arrive there, I'm living in a temporary state. I'm living in a tent. I'm living as a pilgrim, as a nomad, as a wanderer, knowing that I'm going to keep moving until I find what God has for me. And here's the second thing that he built. He built an altar. Now, an altar is very different from a tent. A tent you pick up and you move. An altar is something that is fixed. That it's made out of, uh, typically he probably would have made it out of mud and clay and it would have been baked in the sun. Uh, He would have maybe made it out of stone. Something that was firm and strong that he could worship God on or with. It was a firm pillar reminding him of God's promise and God's calling. Obedient faith is responding to the call of God, knowing that we are on a journey. And until we find that, that eternal presence and relationship with God, we haven't arrived. And the other side of that coin is, there's something so very permanent about where we are right now. There's something permanent about the truth and promise of God that we can trust in. So faith on one side is, we're not there yet. We're still wandering. We haven't arrived. And on the other side of that is, but God's promises last forever, and we have them. He's given them to us. And so there's a permanence in our faith, and there's an impermanence to our faith. When Janae and I got married, we, we lived in a, an apartment um, in central Tucson. And when we lived there, uh, we were searching for a home, a permanent home. Um, and we found a home in Gladden Farms, which is you know just a few miles up the road, and 
Uh, and it took seven months for this home to be built. Right? And we were so excited about this home that we would build a family in, uh, that we would live in together, that we would create new memories. And where we lived in this apartment was just a temporary place. And to, even, to paint the picture even broader, all of our gifts that we got for our wedding, so we got married, we, just got, we were blessed with so many gifts, a brand new set of, of, of all of our silverware, of all of our plateware, of all of our, um, what do you call that, like ceramics and stuff like that? Um, yes? I don't know. Uh, it's white and it's flat and you put food on it. <laughs> That's what we got. And cups and bowls and, um, you know what I'm talking about. And we got all this stuff for seven months. We never unpacked it. The entire time we lived in our apartment, they were in boxes in the corner. Now, our apartment was 800 square feet, and the boxes took up the whole kitchen nook of all of our stuff that was there. And we said, we're not going to unpack it because we're not home yet. And we kept it in a box. Seven, seven months later, you know how fun that was? For the, it, it, was like, it was like wedding all over again. It was like Christmas all over and get, getting all these gifts and opening them and seeing them for the first time. So if you got your thank you note a little late, that's why. Sorry. <laughs> we unpacked everything and put it in the cupboards and, and put the, the glasses where they need to go and the silverware. And, and it was such a joy to unpack and say we're home. But that wasn't true about everything. There were some things we unpacked, right? We unpacked our clothes. We unpacked the things that we, we would need day to day. We unpacked our toothbrush. and We still lived. We lived our life, but we knew there was an aspect of our life that was impermanent. That was temporary. And as God calls us out, He's calling us out specifically to Him. But there's an impermanence to how we are to live our life and the view of our life in, in where we are, where we live. That there's this, there's this vision of God, where I am right now is, is, not, is not the, I have not received the promise in full. I have not grasped you entirely. I'm not, this isn't all that you have hoped for us. And so I live my life with this mindset that we're on a journey and I'm still moving. And we shouldn't just put our roots down and say, well, this is life and I'm going to make the best of it. But like Abraham, he lived in a tent because he said, I'm going to pursue God. And I'm, he's propelling me forward and I'm moving forward. And I'm moving closer to him. And everything that I encounter is closer and closer to that promise that he's given me. And as we do that, as we move in our relationship with God, see, our relationship of faith... One act of faith will always lead to another act of faith. And that act of faith will leave to, leave, leave to another. Lead to another. <laughs> What's the word? Lead to another act of faith. And, and so forth and so on. And Abraham knew that. And, and we need to know that. As we seek to follow Christ by faith, what does it look like? It means that we have this vision of what his, He has promised us. And His promise is, I will be your God and you will be my people. And we know that in part we experience that right now, but in part we, we don't. And we should pursue Him tirelessly until we have that in our grasp. A life of obedient faith understands clearly what will last forever. And Abraham knew what would last forever, and that was the city that God would prepare for him, the promise that he had for him, and he pursued it. Here's another illustration. To live as a stranger in a land is to, by faith, understand that we are also strangers in, in this land, by faith. 
called to live on one hand a temporary life where there are some things in our hand that we, that we hold openly, that we realize that God's given it to us for our enjoyment, but he can take it away as well. And then on the other hand, we are, so, we are to hold in our hands something with a very tight grasp. And these are the promises of God. These are the promises that he will not forsake us, that he will not leave us, that his kindness and unending love is ours. That, he, that, that nothing can take away His love for us. That His grace is given to us beyond our own ability to earn it or receive it. And so there are some things in our hand that we say, God, I'm not letting go of. It's permanent. It's secure. And then there are other things in our hand that say, God, I'm, I'm, I have to be willing to be able to let these things go. And what I see often that happens is we get those two hands confused. The things that we're supposed to have an open hand to we, we grab on very tightly. And we control those things, and those are the things in our life that are comfortable to us. And we say, these things must be like this. And if they're not, how will I ever manage? How will I ever cope? How will I ever survive? If God takes these things away, what will I ever do? And then the promises of God we kind of have with an open hand. And we say, God, I know you've promised these things, but you know, what if, what if you don't, they don't come true? Or what if I can't rely on you? Then I have to have other things in my back pocket to rely on. And to live a life of obedient faith means that we have the right perspective on those, those two hands. That we hold very tightly God's promises and trust in those. And those are the things that define us and define our identity. Those are the things we hope in and place our trust in. And the things that are of the world, we leave with an open hand, saying, God, I'm going to enjoy these blessings as you give them to me, but I'm not going to find my satisfaction in them. I'm not going to pursue them the way I'm going to pursue you. The appearance of God on the scene requires a response. And, and here's what I like. As you look through all the scripture, never once do I see God kind of come on the scene. So here he comes on the scene with Abraham. And he calls him to himself. He calls him out and he propels him forward. Never do I see in scripture that God comes on the scene and makes himself known and just say, he comes down and say, just stay wherever you are. Whatever you're doing, just keep doing it. He's like, i got to go handle over these sinners over here, but I just wanted to come and visit you and to say everything's going okay. i got a lot of work to do, but I just want to check in. Like God, He never comes on the scene and says, just stay where you are. Every single time God makes himself known to somebody, he calls them in a direction to move, to do something. And faith, does not, this, faith is not this thing that falls in our lap. And says, wow, now I have faith and I'm going to sit with it and I'm going to be comfortable with it. Faith is something that that pushes us forward, that is behind us, that that kicks us out, that propels us forward. And that's what Abraham is doing. The very nature of God's calling is a calling out. It's a propelling forward towards him. And so thirdly, let's look at, at this aspect of being drawn into him. Thirdly, obedient faith draws us near. And this is the hardest part to understand when it comes to obedient faith, I think. That faith not only calls us out, propels us forward, motivates us, but faith also draws us near to God. Obedient faith draws us near to God. When we obey, it is there that we see the quality and characteristic and promise of God coming true. And this is the idea that we believe in the depths of our soul that God knows what's best for us. And whatever happens to us is, is good for us. And that when God calls us out 
and He tells us to go someplace, He's really doing what is in our best interest. And in effect, He's calling us toward Himself. You know, when you, the idea, when you were a child, I want you to think about when you were a little kid, or maybe you're a kid right now, what does obedience look like? Um, and maybe a better question would be, how much did you hate obedience, <laughs> being obedient? Uh, here's what obedience is uh, in the eyes of a kid. Uh, to be obedient is to have your freedoms taken away, plain and simple. To be told to do something that you don't want to do is to t- have your freedom and have it taken away from you. And it's something that we hate, to have our freedom taken away from us. It is, it's a mark of, of spiritual immaturity to think like that as well. That when God calls us to do something, we see it as a bummer. We see it as something that we really don't want to do, but we'll do it because, you know, He knows what's best, I guess. And so we do it begrudgingly, or we kind of mope through it, because we really truly don't believe that God has our best interests in mind, and that when He calls us to something, it's the best thing for us. Here's what a mark of spiritual maturity looks like. That we understand that Obedience to God does not push us further away from what is best, but it draws us closer to the things that are best. And obedience to God draws us closer to Christ, because He is ultimately best. And He draws us closer to Himself. To, to be obedient in our faith is to, is to desire Jesus, and to move closer to Him, and to know Him in a deeper way. There are two difficult things that we read that Abraham had to do that God called him out to. One was to leave his town, and we, we read that. And the second one, do you recall, in that second part of the passage, the second thing that God was asking him to do was to sacrifice his son, his only son. Here's a question, does God test us? The answer is yes, God does. But here's another question, for what purpose does God test us? It says that Abraham was tested his faith was tested by offering up his son. How you answer that question, the question is, why does God test us? The, the, the way you answer that question is going to tell a lot about what you believe about God. What do you believe he's like? What do you believe his character, his nature? How much you think he loves you or doesn't love you? If you say, God tests us so that we can grow in our character and in our integrity and we can be better people, and, and it's, this, it's the idea of what doesn't kill us makes us stronger, right? Why does God test us? Well, because it fortifies us, it makes us stronger. It makes us better people. You can do that without God. You can be a better person without God. You can be a stronger person without God. You don't need God to encounter a trial, to bust through it, and to be stronger on the other side. You don't need it at all. You don't need Him at all to do that. But if you say the purpose of our testing is so that as our capacity to understand grief and pain and discomfort that God brings also increases our capacity to enjoy God and to know Him and to draw closer to Him and to be loved by Him and to embrace His love that He has for us and to increase our fellowship with Him Because as I'm tested, and as these things happen in my life, I'm forced to be drawn closer to God, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. I'm sure you know people like that, that have gone through such hard times, that have trusted in God, and and they say, I would never change a thing. And you just, in your mind, you're just confused. You say, 
what? Don't you realize what you've gone through? All this pain, all this heartache, all this confusion? And they say, I wouldn't do it because through that, I knew God more and I gained God more. My fellowship with Him grew. The purpose of life, if we say that our trials are so that we could grow in character and integrity, then the purpose of our life and all the trouble is just to be better people. If the purpose of our trials and, our, and, and, and the calling out that God gives and the pushing forward, if the purpose of all that is to become increasingly closer to Jesus, then we have nothing to lose in that. And here's what Paul says in the book of Philippians. He says, My greatest aim in life was not to increase in my knowledge, not to increase in my smarts, my integrity. And he even lays it out. He says, guys, I've got you beat on every level. I, if you think you're smart, I'm smarter. If you think you're wise, I'm wiser. If you think you're accomplished, I'm, I'm more accomplished. If you think you have the credentials and the right resume, I can, I'm, you're, you're, you're over your head when it comes to me. So he said, my purpose of all these things is not for that, but my aim in life is to know Christ. And here's the word that he uses. He says, to know Christ and to gain Him. Adam's family, as he's living in Ur, his dad dies. His brother dies. And God calls him out. And in this process, he realizes as he's seeking this promise of God that he can trust in, that he is being drawn closer and closer to God Himself. We forget as we look at the life of Abraham that, you know, we read, these, we read these five, six verses, and we forget that it's the span of like 40 years. And I always have to remind myself of perspective when I read Scripture, because here's what happens. You read Scripture, and something horrible happens, and the next verse immediately is something wonderful happens to that person. And then, the, and then, I, and then you say, well, see, we just need to trust, and everything's going to work out. But the problem is, hindsight's always twenty twenty. And we need to remember that as, as things are happening in Abraham's life, they're happening in real time. And he doesn't have answers to them. He's seen tragedy and grief in his life, and he doesn't have an answer to it. He doesn't know why God's doing it. His family is being torn apart from him, and he doesn't know why. God is calling him out of his home, and he doesn't know why. And it would take years and years until he sees this progress, and sees that as he looks back, he sees, God, you were there all along. And I'm closer to you because of it. When things happen to us, we don't have the benefit of, of hindsight, right? Because hindsight's twenty twenty, right? We don't have the benefit of that. And neither did Abraham. When God has brought, when God, uh, has brought into your life today a test of some sort, He's not doing it to test your character. See, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger is not in the Bible. I've looked. It's not there. But here's what is in the Bible. God's power is made perfect in our weakness. And so as these things come in our life that are confusing to us, Paul sees, the Apostle Paul sees that these are opportunities to know God in a deeper way. What did Abraham do when he was tested? In Hebrews eleven nineteen, we read this. And this is a great passage, and I want you to go look at it. Look at it in your bulletin or in your Bible. Verse 19. When he was tested with Isaac, when given up his son to sacrifice him, it says that he considered that God was able to raise him up if he died. So for Abraham to be obedient 
in his faith and offer his son as a sacrifice, he was affirming two things. He was reaffirming two things. He was giving God a chance to reaffirm his ability to be faithful. And he was reaffirming his own confidence and his own faith in God. So when something happens in our life, when God calls us out into an environment that's uncomfortable, when he calls us, when he gives us a command as we read his scriptures and we're living a life that's maybe not honoring to him and he calls us to live differently, we have an opportunity to do two things. To reaffirm God's promise that if I obey you, you will be faithful. And to reaffirm our own confidence and conviction that we will follow him. It gives us opportunity. It gives us opportunity to obey him. To follow him. And for him to be faithful. That's why Paul encourages us in, in 2 Corinthians 13.5 to examine ourselves. Here's what he says. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. God tests us, he tests Abraham, and he tests us today, so that in exercising our faith in that trial, we would find him. You see, the whole purpose of God testing us and bringing things into our life that maybe are uncomfortable is so that we can find him and gain Christ and know him. The whole purpose of our life is, is to gain Christ and everything in it. Do you know, here's where we'll kind of wrap it up, do you know where, that Abraham died not finding that city? Do you know that God called Abraham out of a comfortable place, made him wander in the desert, and then he died? And he, and he never found it. He never found that, that city. So we might look at this, and, and the same thing was with Moses. Moses went and rescued the the Jewish people from Egypt, from slavery, and they wandered in the desert for 40 years, and then he died. And the question is, did God fail? Was God faithful? Did God mess up? Some would look at his life and say he left his family, he left his friends, he left a comfortable place and all pleasures of all kind, and he got this close to the promise and just missed it by a couple years maybe. But here's Abraham this is why Abraham is the portrait for us of what real faith is. Abraham would say, I didn't miss a thing. Because in pursuing the promise of God and living with obedient faith, I got God. I got Him. And He is the promise. Because I was, He called me out to seek this thing. And what I realized was that thing wasn't a thing at all, but it was a person. And it was God. And so when God calls us to Himself, He calls us to exactly that. Not to a better life, not to a life of, of better character or integrity, but He calls us to have a relationship with Him. And when we have Him, we have everything. And we're not missing anything. Jesus was in a conversation with the religious leaders at the time, and they were arguing about Abraham. And here's what Jesus said to them in John chapter 8. He said, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. And this is what Jesus says that just blew everybody away. He saw it and was glad. You know what Jesus said? He's effectively saying there, he's saying, Jesus, he's saying, Abraham saw me. In his journey, he saw me. And they're like, what? What is going on? And they say, you're not even 50 years old. How did they see you? And he says, before Abraham was, I am. God is saying, I am. Jesus is saying, I am God. 
I am the beginning, I am the end. Everything finds their meaning and significance in me. The promise that I gave to Abraham was that I would be his God and he would be my people. And everybody that came after him, that believed and was obedient by faith and trusted in me, I would be their God and they would be my people. In drawing closer to God's promises through obedient faith, Abraham had the promise all along because he had Christ. He had God himself. And that gave him the greatest satisfaction, the greatest purpose. He found that city that had foundation, that builder was God because he got God. And Jesus says to us, he says, so many places, he says, come, follow me. He says to a man, he says, pick up your mat and walk. He says to another, pick up your cross and follow me. He says to others, he says, abide in me. He says to others, find rest for your souls. He says to others, come to me if you're weak. You see, everything that we look at, what does it mean to live by faith? We see an example in Abraham that God was calling him out and into fellowship and relationship with him. And he calls us to that very same thing. Let's pray. For more audio and information, please visit holycrosstucson.com. Thank you.